The sermon text for this morning, as announced in the e-news, if you get the e-news, is out of Mark chapter 9. passage, a story, is the transfiguration of Jesus. Six days after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, and then immediately rebukes him and tries to tell him how to do his job, six days after that, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountainside to pray. While he's up there, he's Appearances, the word is transfigured. There's not really a great other word to use to describe it because we're not exactly sure what it looked like, but it was noticeable. His clothes became intensely white and describes him as radiant. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up, these two great leaders and prophets from the Old Testament. Peter blurts out that he'll make some tents. Because he didn't know what to say, and then a cloud comes, and the voice of God comes out of the cloud and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then all of a sudden, all of that disappears. That's our story. I was uh, was praying about the message this week. It's feeling, it's it's been a little while since we had a real study-driven sermon. It's been a while since I preached a message that had a lot of background information that I did you know, a heavy amount of studying for, maybe gave you some facts that you haven't heard before. And so um, I'd read some things about this passage recently, some really interesting kind of connections, and I really dove into it. And I uh, read through 10 or 12 commentaries, a lot of articles, a video or two, And I've got all sorts of information, really cool stuff for you. Like the fact that it's Moses and Elijah that meet Jesus on this mountain. And Moses and Elijah were the two prophets in the Old Testament that in a special circumstance saw the the true presence of God. There's these two stories about God passing by and allowing Moses to view him from behind but not his face and the story of Elijah being hidden in the cleft of the rock as God passed by him and it's really interesting connection that it's those two that that stand face to face with Jesus on this mountain in the New Testament it's interesting that the word that Peter uses when he says he'll set up some tents Which sounds silly to us because it sounds like he's just like planning for a Boy Scout sleepover. But it's the word used for for booths or tabernacles, as in the Feast of Tabernacles, started by Moses. I even had a good Super Bowl connection for that, that it'd be like if you went to the store to pick up dip for the Super Bowl tonight and like Vince Lombardi walked out of Walmart with you and said he needed a place to watch the game. How many? We have any football fans? Like three. That's all right. Maybe four. Can you imagine as a football fan if you got to watch the Super Bowl where they present the Vince Lombardi Trophy with Vince Lombardi? That's kind of what it was like. Is that Peter saying, "Hey, we could make tabernacles and we could tabernacle with Moses." 
And even some really crazy stuff about this analysis of all of the ministries of Elijah and how all of the powerful things he did coincided and were representations of all of the different feasts of the Jewish people. And when he prayed for the seven days for rain, that that coincides with the seven days of the feast of tabernacles and the coming rain and blessing of God and how it wasn't the time for the Feast of Tabernacles at this point in Jesus' ministry because Pentecost hadn't come yet, the atonement hadn't been made yet. Really, I mean, it was good. It's really good stuff. It was really, it was really good, if I do say so myself. And then I got to this morning and this other... This other message that I've just been ruminating on for a, a month or two now just got so stuck, so stuck in the front of my head. There's another scripture that's been on my heart for a while now and that I feel like God has been <coughs> revealing some new things to me on. It's in 1 Corinthians. It's one verse, so you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. It's 1 Corinthians 3 if you want to get there to, to read through it later. But, um, well, technically two and a half verses. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? I gave you milk, not solid food. I've known that scripture for a very long time. I, I did uh, teen Bible quizzing when I was a youth, and we, uh, we studied 1 Corinthians, my eighth grade year. And chapter 3 is at the beginning of the year when we were still studying a lot, so I actually learned this part. So I've known this scripture for a while. And we talk about this scripture a lot, especially as we look, talk about discipleship and spiritual maturity, right? And growing in our faith. And I've realized that my assumption and what I've seen really taught and more importantly practiced within the church is the idea of, well, what is that solid food? And we have this idea that that the milk is kind of the, the basics, right? It's the, the basic understanding of, of forgiveness. It's the things that you learn when you're still a new believer, when you don't know all of the right words and lingo and theological terms. But as we get older in our faith, as we get more mature in our faith, we can have we can handle the harder stuff, right? The deeper discussions, the bigger words, in the same way that our first words as human children are small and simple and basic, things like mama and dada and eat and and those sorts of things. And as we get older as people, our language gets more complicated, more diverse, more impressive. And so we, we look at that idea of milk and solid food the same way that the solid food is we are ready to be fed things with greater substance. Things that would choke an infant that they can't handle yet. And so we look for that depth. We look for those interesting, dare I say, impressive connections of the Old Testament. Those 
big ideas, those ideas with depth that are hard to wrap our minds around if we are younger in our faith. That's what we that's what we look for. That's what we think solid food is. But I've been thinking a lot about it because I've we have four kids. We've raised three of them from birth. We've done this a few times in our family. Remember, and I've been reminded of this one time that I learned something about raising a child that was just kind of surprising to, to me. Uh, we were at our doctor. I don't remember which kid it was. Hopefully it was one of the first ones. Um, but whichever, whichever child it was, they were at that point where they were starting to eat solid food. Where they were still drinking a lot of milk, but they were starting to be able to, to actually eat things. And we were talking to our doctor, Rachel and I were at the appointment together, and we were talking about, well, how do we know if we're getting her or him enough food? How do we know if our, if our baby who's starting to eat solid food is eating enough, if they're getting enough nutrients? And our doctor looked at us and he said, it doesn't matter. I said, well, what do you mean it doesn't matter? He said, it doesn't matter. If, you're, if your baby is still drinking milk, they don't need any nutrition from solid food. He said they're not getting any more nutrition, they're not getting any more strength, they're not getting any more protein or energy out of the solid food. We said, well, well what's, what's the point? What's the point of opening the, the jars or pureeing the vegetables? Or, or What's the point of doing it? He said that the point is that they're learning how to feed themselves. He said that the, the purpose right now, while they're still drinking milk, the purpose is just to learn how to do it. They need to learn how to eat. They don't need the nutrition. The, the, the milk that they're drinking is so packed full of nutrition, they don't need anything else. This is a learning period for them. And as I've thought about this passage over the past couple of months, I've realized that as a parent, yeah, the, the most significant thing as a parent about your child eating solid food it's not that all of a sudden they're healthier. It's not that all of a sudden they're, they're growing faster. It's that all of a sudden they can feed themselves. That you can put a, a plate of food in front of them, and yeah, you're going to have to pressure wash them when it all is said and done. But you can put a, a, a bowl of food in front of them and walk away for five seconds to wash the dishes or sit down or whatever you need to do. You don't have to sit there with them fully connected, fully engaged. They begin to feed themselves. And I realized that the way I had always thought about this passage and this idea that we as believers should be seeking to eat solid food and not milk, maybe that has a lot less to do with the nutritional value of what we're getting and a lot more to do with the way we get it. A lot more to do with the way we get it. That we can begin to feed ourselves. 
Because ultimately, right, isn't that what it's about? As believers, and as believers, the the goal has always been to make more disciples. It's always been to make more disciples. And if we're going to do that, we need to develop in our ability to hear from God, to understand his word, so that we can show someone else. This is reinforced by the fact that I'm fairly certain you can pick just about any passage in the New Testament, any instruction of Jesus. Make even make it a little broader. Just take the Sermon on the Mount. Any one of us could take the Sermon on the Mount, take that home, have only that scripture, and you could spend the rest of your life trying to live that out, trying to allow God to make those changes in you. You could go the rest of your life seeking, seeking sanctification and perfection on embodying the Sermon on the Mount the way that Jesus did. So when we're constantly looking for more understanding, now we need to be... <laughs> We need to not just read one passage of scripture for the rest of our lives. I'm not advocating that. Not advocating that. But. But. If we are in a place where we are continuously looking for new truth or new understanding of something different, I think we can get lost a little bit. Because we have so much room to grow in our faith from the truths that we already have. And that's true if you've been a believer for 60 years or six minutes. You can, I fully believe you could probably never go to church. You show up one day, you get saved, you take that message, and there's probably enough there that you could work on it for the rest of your life. Milk, not solid food. So I think there's a couple traps that we fall into as believers. The first is just constantly cooking meals, constantly eating, forgetting that the purpose of eating is to give us what we need to go out and do. And I don't know about you. But I, unless it's a real bad day, I spend more time doing in the average day than eating. Thanks for laughing, honey. I, I do have days where I'm tired and stressed and snacky, and I spend a lot of time eating. And you know what? I don't feel great on those days. I don't feel great on those days because I'm packing energy in and I'm not doing anything with it. It's just sitting here. And then I gain weight. 
And that's, that's ultimately what gluttony is at its core, right? Gluttony is taking in more energy than we're using. And we get to that point when, when we see anything as more important than what it's meant to be used for, right? Food is for energy to do things. I'm not trying to preach a sermon about eating healthy, but... But I think we can get to a point where we are biblically gluttonous. Biblically gluttonous. Where we are so focused on, well, I need to learn more, I need to learn more, I need to learn more, and we're not doing. We're packing ourselves full of scripture, but then we don't give God the opportunity to work it out in our lives. We receive the instruction biblically, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not just a theological, let's not just sit at your desk and figure it out. It's work it out in action. I think we can be spiritually and biblically gluttonous. We say, well, God, I'm going to obey. I'm going to go love people. I'm going to go serve. I'm going to go minister. But I need to just understand a little better, a little more knowledge, a little bit more, a little more study. And we get stuck, as the Corinthians did, in this place where we're waiting for people to bring it to us. We're waiting for people to bring it to us. They say, Pastor, aren't you right this moment standing up and feeding us? Yes, I am. Thanks for asking. Because I do have thoughts on that. Yeah, I stand up here most weeks, except for last week, and present what is essentially a meal for you. But here's my belief about what that looks like. To me, coming to church, hearing a sermon by a pastor is like going out to a restaurant. I go out to restaurants occasionally, usually with my wife, for two reasons. One, because I cannot prepare food as good as those restaurants, especially if it's sushi or if it's uh, Indian food or Thai food. I I can't cook that well. I'm not qualified to do that. I haven't been to culinary school, just like most of you haven't been to seminary. Most of you don't have degrees in biblical literature. So one of the reasons I'm up here is because, because of my education and my calling and my vocation, I can probably find some things and notice things in this text that you don't know or don't see. Not because I'm better, I'm just educated. That's one reason. The other reason is I occasionally go to restaurants because it's nice to be able to just sit and enjoy the meal and not have to do the work every now and then. And yeah, this is a freebie. This is one for you. You don't have to do the dishes after this sermon, right? But if I went out to eat every single meal, or if I went out to eat every Sunday after church and then didn't eat another meal until the following Sunday when I could afford to go out again, I think we can all agree that that would not be a healthy lifestyle. That it's the exception. It's an appreciated exception, but then I go home and I make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for myself. And it's often not as fancy, but it sustains me. 
sermon is not meant to be your primary sustenance for the week. What you do on Monday morning in your devotional time is what sustains you for Monday. I'm just here to give you a break. One, we do it together. Maybe show you some new ways to prepare the meal, so to speak, and teach you how to study the Bible a little bit. And then finally, just give you a study that you can't walk away from. You can get up to go to the bathroom, but you really got to come back because somebody will notice. And when you're at home and God starts to tell you things that are uncomfortable to you, you can say, oh, it's really time to get to work. i got to close this and get out of here. Oh, I think my, here are my kids, right? When I'm up here, you're stuck with it. So when you start to get un- – honestly, this to me is like the most important thing about a sermon. When you start to get uncomfortable, you can't close the Bible because I'm the one talking. And you're going to have to sit through it until he breaks you. It's the most important thing, I think. You can't get away from it. But it's not meant to be your primary sustenance. We could take one verse and just live it out for the rest of our lives. Go feed the poor, clothe the naked. There's still poor people, there's still naked people. We haven't finished that one yet. I never do much with like end times eschatology stuff. I always feel like I should do more. But I always come back to, there's still so much to do in this time. I haven't figured out this time yet. There's still work to do that I can clearly see here and now to spend too much time Worrying about my proper expression of whether I'm pre or post tribulation. I think we can all fall into this trap of spiritual gluttony. And we just need to get out there and work. I'm currently praying through. A different understanding of what Sabbath means and what Sunday means. And this isn't done. I'm not preaching and I'm just giving you a preview. But I don't see anything in the New Testament that indicates that the day of rest is supposed to switch from Saturday to Sunday. Someone either agreed or disagreed. I don't know which. Oh, that's good. (laughs) And so I'm wondering... If I need to stop seeing Sunday as, well, I better you know, not get myself too winded during the sermon because it's supposed to be my day of rest and it's just a day of ministry. Mm-hmm. Not preaching that yet. It's just, just a preview. Study's not done. I'm not confident. But we should be doing more than we're eating as believers. And if we're sitting around saying, God, I'm just waiting for more truth. Would you reveal yourself to me? Would you tell me what passage I need to study? Would you reveal what this passage is about? I'm waiting for understanding. He says, you just ate five cheeseburgers. Go for a walk. 
Go for a walk. Maybe that'll be our new mission statement as a church. Go for a walk. Go for a walk. I really wanted to preach a really cool, interesting, intricate sermon. It was going to be fun. I had some jokes. Like real ones that you would know were jokes and you'd laugh at. We don't need complicated. We need simple that we put into action. Simple we put into action. Let's pray. Father, we... uh, We can't read more than a sentence in your word without recognizing how much you are a God who goes to work. My father is always at his work and I too am working. In the beginning, God created, built the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God got to work. Father, we love you and we want to know you in the same way as as a new couple just talks for hours and hours and hours and tell me, tell me about yourself and what you like and what you not like and tell me about your childhood and like, whoa, that's maybe less about your childhood. And then when we're interested, when we love another person, we want to get to know them and father, we want to get to know you. And I pray, Lord, that that no one here in this place mistakes this as a condemnation for their desire to know you more. Let no one here feel condemnation for that. However, you are not a God who is content to stay in heaven having theological discussions about yourself with yourself You're a God who created and went to work. Even though it was messy, even though it was painful and difficult, you went to work. So, Father, I pray that you would reveal to us how to best follow you in that. Not that we give up on Bible study, not that we give up on on seeking you in your word, but we seek to do it for the purpose of action in the world. That we refrain from just looking for others to, to feed us, to prepare for us what we can easily ingest. But we recognize that every single one of us is called to a degree of ability in feeding ourselves. And hey, I've been to potlucks. I know there's good and bad cooks in the world. Not everyone's going to be a biblical scholar. But hey, we should all at least be able to make a PB&J. That if we get locked in our homes by ourselves, that we're not starving to death because we can't at least make mac and cheese. doesn't have to be fancy but we're called to grow up help us to find that balance Lord of knowing when to study and when to go 
when to seek the deeper understanding, and when to know that we're really just seeking more understanding. The same way the person who's about to go skydiving for the first time suddenly has a lot of questions when the countdown begins. That it's not that they really need to know more, they're just afraid to jump. Remove that fear that we have of jumping. And I'm not saying when this is, Lord, I just know that it happens. When we are in those places where, where we're seeking deeper understanding because we don't want to jump, reveal that to us. Reveal that to our brothers and sisters in Christ who might need to push us out the door. your presence. We need intimacy with you. We need to walk through our lives in step with the spirit, walking in sync in the same footprints at the same time, going the same place, the same direction. Jesus, the way you did with your father and with the spirit in your earthly life, so too may we. That is what we need. That is the truth that we can work out for a lifetime. So let us walk in that. Let us live in that. Let us be people of action. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who came to this earth to work and to serve. Amen.